how did Coca-Cola reach 96, 97% of the world in about 145 years, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has only reached 30% of the world in 2,000 years? Is Coca-Cola that much more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Tonight I want to speak to you from the book of uh, Gospel of John in the fourth chapter. And uh, I want to discuss with you just a little bit tonight, really more of a missions kind of theme this evening, and, uh, and really what God is calling us to do. And just to discuss a little bit where we are in the world with the great commission that God has given to us, that Christ has commanded us to, and really an attitude that we're going to have to have if we're going to complete that mission. So let's ask God's blessing, and then we'll go right into His Word. Father, thank you for the time together tonight. Thank you for... The time we've had together of fellowship and for the music, for the singing, and uh, for the special that we just heard. Lord, bless us tonight now as we open your word, minister to our hearts. May your word be that light, that lamp that shines brightly. Show us areas of our life that needs to be changed. And give us the direction, Lord, we need for our feet and path. For your glory and praise do we ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we come in John chapter 4 and come down with me to verse number 31, we read this statement. In the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look into the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth, uh, reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor, uh, other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. As we look at this passage and we consider tonight, I want to note three thoughts about the passage, I believe very important to the cause of world missions, to the cause of completing the Great Commission, and really found from Christ himself. He, not only uh, did he command us concerning the Great Commission, but he lived the example of how to fulfill the commission through his life. And I want us to note first off this evening, from verse number 34, the th statement of Christ, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Here we find Christ noting to his disciples, really, what we'll call a radical faith that is required if the commission is going to be completed. What's a radical faith? A faith that stands out, a faith that's different, a faith that is very committed to the cause. Where were the disciples? Where had they been? Well, the Lord had been walking that day with the disciples. They had walked many miles, uh, kilometers to get there. Do you go by kilometers or miles here? Kilometers, all right. So I'm back in Europe right now, okay? Uh, many kilometers that they had traveled that day uh, as they were walking and, and traveling, and they came here to Samaria. They get there, no doubt, traveling by foot. They were very tired. 
They were hungry. I mean, they got their steps in that day, okay? And they're very hungry. And so immediately, they go off to find food, to gather things to eat. Christ remained there at the well. And there we know the story with the Samaritan woman as he shares uh, about himself with her, of who he is, of who she is, of her need. And we see that she comes to faith that day. And not only her... But others in Samaria will come to faith through that. So Christ is going to choose over his own comfort, no doubt tired, would love to have gone seat, seat, seat himself underneath a shade tree somewhere while the disciples are off gathering food. I mean, there were much other things he could have been doing, but he chose to, to involve himself, engage himself with this woman, not only reaching her, but reaching others. And no doubt as we look at this and the statement that he's making here, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What he's saying there is more important than my comfort, more important than what's best for me, than what's convenient for me, is finishing the Father's will, is completing the will of the Father. Now, how committed was he to completing the will of the Father? Well, we're going to come over a few chapters later and we get to John chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer there of Christ before the Father. But we see that he is committed to take that cup and to go all the way to Calvary's hill, Calvary's cross, to die on that cross to complete the Father's plan. That's how committed he was to complete the mission the Father had given him. And what does the book of John, the gospel of John, repeat twice this statement? As the Father has sent me, so what? So send I you. So he has given us a mission. And the question has to be asked, are we committed to the mission he has given to us? We see his commitment that he had to complete the Father's will. As we look today in the world, we find a world today, some estimate, only to be 30% reached with the gospel. In other words, a world of 8 billion people plus probably now, but somewhere around 30% of the world, which that would be 2.4 billion people, have heard a clear gospel presentation. 70% of the world has not heard a clear gospel presentation. Now, of that 70% that has not heard, about 30 of the 70% live in an area like Surrey where they have the potential to hear they just have not heard yet. Where I pastored in the Kansas City area. Uh, they had numerous churches there, but I'm telling you, I met people. I have a good friend who's from Topeka, Kansas, grew up in Topeka, went to public high school, all the rest, grew up Catholic. He's told me, Derek, I did not hear the gospel for the first time until I was 36 years old. And he went through a lot of destruction in his life, right? But when he finally heard the gospel, he responded to that gospel. But how could it be that he went to public high school, played on sports teams, neighbors, teachers, friends, students, none of those knew the gospel? Certainly, there were some of those that knew the gospel. Just none had chosen to share with him the gospel personally. So about 30 of the 70% that have not heard, 30% live in an area with the potential to hear they've just not heard yet. But 40% live in an area that we will call unreached with the gospel. What does unreached mean? They have no potential to hear. They have no church. They have no Christian that, 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 that can witness to them. They are unreached with the gospel. Now, 
after 2,000 years of the Great Commission given to the disciples, right, given to the church, to preach the gospel to every nation. And what does that statement nation mean? If you look in the Greek, every nation is speaking of every ethnic group of people. There are estimates that somewhere today around uh, 16, over 16,000 different ethnic groups of people. For example, in the country of Laos, God has opened a door. We have a ministry there. We have a Bible institute in Laos. And uh, we praise God for that. In the country of Laos, around 126 different people groups in Laos. Uh, our Bible Institute, I think, has nine different people groups. So you have Hmong people, which among the Hmong, they're green Hmong, white Hmong, black Hmong uh, people. Uh, there are Baru people. There are Camus people. There are Laotian people, right? And, and all these different groups of people have, have different languages, though Lao might be the, the main language that they all communicate by, but they're all a little bit different. Some are Buddhists, some are animists, and so forth. But nine different people groups, but 126 overall. Of those 126, I think the estimate is somewhere around 73% of those unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet Christ commanded us to preach the gospel to how many people groups? To every people group in the world. In Mark's gospel, it's to preach the gospel to every creature. So to every person within every people group, Christ is commanding that we take and preach the gospel. We took some men from our institute, this is right before COVID, into the country of Tajikistan, all right? Where is Tajikistan located? Anybody know? In an area called Central what? Central Asia. And you have all those stand guys there, right? You have Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan. All the stand guys are there together, capstoned at the bottom there by Afghanistan, all right? But Tajikistan, where we went, Islamic country, but considered 99% unreached with the gospel. 99%. Now that's pretty amazing. How can there be a country still 99% unreached with the gospel in 2023? I mean, how can that be? But you know what's sadder is that the church of Christ today is content with it being this way. I mean, we still look at this and we say, well, it's unreached, but, you know, maybe what? I don't know. Did the Lord not mean what he said when he said to go to every nation? Did he not mean what he said when he said he go to every creature? Let me give you another thought. Coca-Cola today, 145 years old, and I'm sorry about this. It was started in America, right? The brown sugared water uh, that they have. But do you know that Coca-Cola today, that logo is recognized in like 96 or 7% of the world? So how did Coca-Cola reach 96, 97% of the world in about 145 years? But the gospel of Jesus Christ has only reached 30% of the world in 2,000 years. Is Coca-Cola that much more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, I've been to areas in Laos and Tajikistan, in, in uh, Ukraine. I mean, I can almost always find Coke. I don't care how small the village or the kiosk. I mean, you can almost always, there's going to be a Coca-Cola there. But you won't find the gospel in many of these places. How can that be? And are we content with it being there? 
Look, what I'm saying today, a radical faith, it's going to, does this not seem strange to the disciples what Christ said? More important here than my meat, more important than my comfort, more important than any of this is that the Father's will get completed. Now look, people are going to look at that and they're going to think, well, you're a fanatic if you take that view. That's what I'm saying. That's the commitment that's required. That's the faith that's required if we're going to complete the mission. And the very reason the mission has not been completed today, 2,000 years later, is because we haven't been that committed to it. We haven't had that kind of radical faith. I want to read you a, a couple of thoughts here and quotes here just to give you some, some thoughts of, of uh, what I'm talking about here. There was a missionary by the name of James Calvert and he was going to the Fiji Islands and there were cannibals on the Fiji Islands when he was going there. The ship captain that, that took him there and was dropping him off there was trying to warn him not to go there and, uh, and actually said, told him, warned him, said, you will lose your life and the lives of those with you if you go among such savages. Now I want you to listen to uh, James Calvert's very short reply. He said this, we died before we came here. We're already dead. I'm already crucified with Christ. I am dead with him that his glory, that his truth might be heard through my voice no matter the cost. Is there any cost too great that we can pay to Christ with our lives? What was it that C.T. Studd said? There is, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, there's no sacrifice too great I can make for him. Is Jesus Christ God? Did he die for you? Is there any sacrifice too great that you can make for him? My friend, there's no sacrifice too great. I want you to listen to this letter that was written uh, by Adoniram Judson, really America's first international missionary, we'll say. He began going to India, where he thought he was going. He ended up in, in Burma, Myanmar, uh, taking the gospel. But he's writing this letter to the woman's father that he's hoping to marry. So he's wanting her hand in marriage, and he's writing her father and saying, look, I want you to know what this means. If you give her hand to me, this is what it means. Listen to the letter. He says, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. All right, I don't know how many dads are out there with daughters. But boy, that's a hard one, I imagine. I've got three sons. It's a little bit different father-son thing, right? I mean, you can just hit them in the head with a two-by-four, get out and let's get going. But your daughter would be a little bit different thing. But can you imagine that statement? So let's go on with the letter here. Whether you can consent to see her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in the hope that, uh, of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamation of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through, the means, through her means from eternal woe and despair? Man, I mean, he's really putting it forth there, right? Telling this father, you need to count the cost if you give her hand. I mean, I want to marry her, 
And the biography on his life is, is called From Here to the Golden Shore, right? And I don't know if you've ever read that or not, but it's a, it's a blessed uh, biography of his life. And this father does consent to give her daughter to Adoniram Judson. And she will die in Burma. But there will be souls reached in Burma for the glory of Christ. I'm just saying to finish the commission that God has given to us, my friends, it takes a commitment of our faith. A commitment if God is calling to go. You know, my thought personally in our churches and where I've pastored and so forth, and and I know this from my own personal experience in life, that uh, though I served in a local church, youth pastor, deacon, working in various ministries within that church, I was not really surrendered to whatever God wanted for my life. I kind of surrendered to God with conditions, which is no surrender at all, right? And finally, God broke me of that, and I came to this place where I said, okay, Lord, I just lay everything before you, whatever you want, and wherever you want me, I'm willing to go. That was really the first time I had truly surrendered. You know, I think in our churches, we, our churches are filled with, I'm not saying they're not saved, they can be saved, but not fully surrendered believers. I don't know what the numbers are, what the percentages are, but I just personally believe that the numbers are probably quite high within a church of those that have truly surrendered to go. Because we fear what may be if we surrender to go. We fear what we might miss if we surrender to go. And I will say this, that what you're missing is more than what you might lose. You're not going to lose anything by surrendering to Christ. You're only going to gain. And I look back at my life at what I missed because I had not yet surrendered to Christ. Our lives have been full and God has provided for us and God has filled our lives with just joys of the opportunities of ministry. And uh, I limited myself in that. Why? Because I had never really surrendered to him. Listen, it's a commitment of faith. And we're saying, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you and your glory and what you want. And here is my life and use it as you will. Do you know the church I would like to pastor? And I have pastored, but church that I, a church filled with people who are willing to go and have surrendered to go, but God called them to stay. God's not going to call everyone to go. God's going to call some to stay because he's got to work for you here. But I'm just saying, if we want to reach the world with this gospel, it's a commitment, not what's best for me, not what's convenient for me, not what's comfortable for me, but whatever the cost to see the gospel of Christ taken into the world. It's a radical faith. Amen? All right, let's look at a second truth right here as we come down to verse number 35. He says, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I see here there's a radical sense of urgency. That look, the, the, the harvest is white. What does that mean? It's already ripe. It needs to be plucked. It needs to be harvested now. Do you know there's a time, there's a day coming when the harvest is past. It's over. Jeremiah tells us this, right? And how sad to think about that. 
But you think about these areas in the world, those that went from cradle to grave, they never once heard of the love of God, of the forgiveness of God, of the work of Christ from Calvary. They never once had the opportunity to hear this message and respond to that message. And they're passing into eternity. Let me read you a story uh, from uh, Hudson Taylor. And uh, this was related in China's Millions. Here's the story. It, it shares the hardships that he had went through with Reverend Burns and experienced in the early days of China. And as they come down, they had uh, spoken one day in the city of Ningpo. And one of the listening crowd said, and this, they've heard the gospel now from Taylor. And they're, they're saying to Taylor, this, this one who had just heard the gospel, I have long sought for the truth and my father before me. I have found no rest in Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism, but I do find rest in what I have heard here. Henceforth, I believe in Jesus. Afterwards, he asked Mr. Taylor how long the glad tidings had been known in England. How long has England known this wonderful truth about this God of love who, who sent his son uh, to die on the cross? And Taylor had to respond to him and told him some hundreds of years. And this man looked amazed. He couldn't believe. He said, what? Is it possible? And yet you have only now come to preach them to us? Now listen, my father sought after the truth for more than 20 years and died without finding it. Why did you not come sooner? I remember a time when we were in Lithuania as missionaries and we uh, were out visiting and a woman by the name of Romonda invited us into her home and as we sat there in her home we shared the gospel and I could just sense, man, she is really listening intently. I mean, God has already prepared her heart. And we shared the gospel and at the end I, I just had a sense that she was going to say yes. I just said, well, Ramonda, would you, would you like to trust Christ today? She said, yes, I would. And she bowed her head there. She prayed. She asked Christ to save her. Then she began to weep. Now I've been with people that weep for joy, but I could sense some bitterness in her weeping. And I asked her, I said, Ramonda, why are you weeping? And then she said this to me, very similar to what uh, Brother Taylor here uh, went through. She said, uh, why couldn't you have come here three years ago? She said, my husband three years ago was searching for what you shared with me tonight. Now listen, she said he went to the Catholic Church, but there he could not find it. And three years ago, he took his life. And you think about out there in, in eastern Ukraine or eastern Lithuania or eastern Europe in Lithuania, many, it's a Catholic country. Almost every little village will have a Catholic church that sits up high. And if you're there growing up in that village, you, you know that there's a God. And I believe every man knows ultimately that there's a creator God. And you know that your conscience is telling you that you offended that God. The law of God has been written on your heart, right? You know that you've offended that God. So the greatest question is what? Well, how can I have peace with this God? How can I have peace with the God who created me because I know that I've offended him? And so you're going to go, well, there's a church. That church represents God. I'm going to go hear what they have to say. And you go to that church, and what is that priest going to tell you in that church? Well, nobody can really know for certain, 
that they have peace with God. I mean, there's no definite way. But listen, we have these sacraments, and you can try to keep these sacraments. They're commandments. You've got to try to keep those commandments. And oh, by the way, if you don't measure up and you're not good enough, then you're going to go to this place called purgatory. And there in purgatory, you're going to pay for your sins. And if your family up here is praying for you, and if they're giving money to the Catholic Church, this will really help as well to try to get you out of purgatory. Now listen, does that sound like any kind of hope? Do you want to trust your relatives for your eternal soul? I know I don't. There's one per- I can't trust myself. There's only one person I can trust with my soul. That's Jesus Christ. But can you imagine this man had not heard, and that, that, that statement of Ramanda still, I hear it echoing in my heart and mind. Why couldn't you have been here three years ago? Listen, my friend, the crop is white and it's ready. There are souls waiting to hear the gospel. I get reports all the time from a communist Laos, where one of the top 20 most persecuted nations in the world, but yet very faithful men. Our institute there, we have between 50 and 70 uh, pastors and men that come to study. One time I asked, how many of you have spent time in prison for your faith? About 40 to 50% of their hands went up in the air. I get these pictures and videos and things that come in almost weekly of reports of souls being saved in a restricted access country. But yet the gospel is going forward. Souls are hearing it in these villages and they're responding to it. One of our men or one of the men I had met there once, I was speaking to him and he told me how he was saved. I can't remember if it was animism or Buddhism. I think it was animism he was saved out of. And he was sharing about uh, how he came to Christ and and how that village, it's an Eastern mindset, so very uh, clannish in their thinking, right? And if anyone breaks away uh, from that religion, so let's say it's animism, if you try to break away from that, not only will the communist government can persecute you, but also that group of people will persecute you in your village because you're trying to leave that group. And he said these people from the, from the village were coming back to him over, you must leave, and if you don't leave, we are going to persecute you, we're going to burn your home. I mean, they go through many difficulties uh, when they repent and come to Christ. And then he came and he told them this statement. Now think about animism. Animism is the worship of spirits. Everything has a spirit, whether it's an animate or an inanimate object, it has a spirit. And these spirits will come to you in your dreams. They call them demons. Isn't that interesting? So the demon came to me in my dream, and the demon demanded this sacrifice. So if I want forgiveness because of a wrong I've done, I need to go make this sacrifice to the demon to receive the blessing, so to speak. Well, this this man who had converted to Christ... And these that were pleading with him to come back and threatening him that if he did not, there would be repercussions to pay. He basically told them, I don't care what you do. Why in the world would I go back to that bondage? Christ has set me free. He had heard the gospel. And that gospel of truth had set him free. It had liberated him from the bondage of Satan and set him free. I'm not going back. But how many are living in that bondage today that could be set free if they could but hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? We were, I was in northern Bangkok 
and uh, was making one of our trips out of Laos. And uh, I was in a church there on a Sunday, and they had a morning service, they had a, uh, they had a dinner, and then they had an afternoon service. And right before the afternoon service, I was walking around, and I was greeting people. And there you don't shake hands, you, you bow. And uh, I don't know, do we do that in the Philippines? Do you bow or do you shake hands? I think you would shake more hands in the Philippines. You're a little more Americanized in the Philippines, right? Which is okay. And, uh, uh, and, and so I was walking around, I was greeting people and I was bowing and I bowed before this little tiny woman. She looked in her early 80s and I, I, I bowed before her and she responded to me in English, which nobody there speaks, hardly anybody speaks English, but she bowed and, and she said, well, I'm not Thai. Uh, I'm from China, but we live here in Bangkok and uh, I've lived here for many years. But then she said this, she said, my great-great-great-grandfather was led to Christ by a missionary in China. And so I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, this is bringing me back. I mean, she's about 70 or 80, so how many generations is this? And I'm coming back to the late 1800s. I said, do you know the name of that missionary that led your great-great-grandfather to Christ? And she said, yes. I said, what was his name? She said, Hudson Taylor. And I think I counted like seven or eight generations that had grown up probably under Buddhism in China in that time and how they had been set free from the bondage of Buddhism through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And seven, eight generations still being impacted. Her adult daughter, probably 40, 50 years old, faithfully serving the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Listen, the crop is white. The harvest is ready. And we have to have a radical sense of urgency. I've heard it said this way, and I love this statement. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost souls on earth. My friends, we're responsible. We will give an account to Christ for what we did with the gospel. Each one of us individually will give an account. That gospel has been committed to our trust. Are we faithfully doing what God has called us to do? We have to have a sense of urgency. And a third truth as we look. Come down with me to uh, verse number uh, 36. And he says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may what? Rejoice together. And here is the saying, that one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap where you bestowed not your labor. Other men labored, and you are entered in to their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believe. My, my last thought today is uh, this, this radical faith, which had a radical urgency. Also, we see a radical vision. And what is that vision? Of the harvest. Souls that have been reaped. Souls that have been brought forth for the glory of Jesus Christ. Looking forward to eternity. Right now, as we look in Ukraine, and we see the many open doors right now in Ukraine, and those that have risked their lives to bring gospel uh, to some of these in Ukraine. We have one of our, one of our men were down in the city of Bakhmut, and uh, you could hear the missiles flying over his head as he had risked his life. I think at that point, there were still five to 7,000 people there. He was going down into the bomb shelter. They were singing. They were praying. They were preaching the gospel. They had brought some aid for these people. And I thought to myself, 
man, Kolya, you're risking your life. And I was thinking about warning him, brother, do you really think you should be there? I mean, you pastor a church, you have a, you have a wife, you have two precious uh, little children. And, and then the thought came to me, you know what, that's not my right to tell him. And what about if you were one of those 7,000 that had never heard the gospel, would you want a Koya coming to you and telling you the hope of the gospel of Christ? Of course you would. If all you knew was orthodox faith and you got to earn your way to God and you got to keep commandments and so forth, would you want someone bringing you the liberating message of Christ and salvation? And so we find such that is risking their life for this, but there's a vision of eternity, not living for now and here and what I see, but living for the things that can't be seen, living for this day that's coming when we're going to live in His glory for all of eternity, singing His praises, and how awesome it would be to sing His praises with others that God has used me or, or, or through me has influenced others to come by faith to Him. Those that sow, those that reap, what are they doing together? Rejoicing together. Man, just having a part in spreading the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ and looking for that day. One of my favorite passages in the book of Revelation is that time where you find from every kindred, from every tongue, from every tribe, they're praising the Redeemer who redeemed them. Around that throne of grace, they're singing and praising His name. Oh, I'm sure angels will be singing there as well. But who's going to sing more, more fluently? Who's going to sing more passionately? Us who have been redeemed by that blood. Us who have experienced the redemption that has come by Christ. And all tongues and all tribe and all people, there's going to be representatives from all. But when is that work going to be ultimately fulfilled? During the time of tribulation. During the time of the 144,000 witnesses as they go out. But why is it that we as a church, that we're not completing this mission? I mean, are we content today with 30% only being reached with the gospel? I mean, are we? I, I don't know. I'm from Missouri. The state of Missouri is called the show me state. And uh, in Missouri, a 30% on the test is a failure. I don't know how y'all do things up here in Canada, but a 30% is not a passing grade, is it? Not when our Lord has commanded us to preach it to all nations. Listen, there's a time we're coming before Him. We are coming before Him. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Our soul is not in jeopardy if we've been saved by His grace and washed in His blood, but our lives will be judged. What we built upon the foundation of Christ will be judged. Have we been building with wood, with hay, with stubble? Or are we building with gold and silver and precious stone? And all the works that we do are going to pass through the fire. Only what goes through the fire and remains is what is for His glory. And we take those gold, silver, precious stone, we lay it back at the feet of Jesus and we say, for your glory and for your praise. I want to encourage us tonight, each one of us, to really look into our hearts and to our lives and say, God, what would you have me to do? What a wonderful thing it would be if we were all surrendered to go, but God is calling some of us to stay. Hallelujah. But, but just that commitment alone would be wonderful to see. 
But if God is calling you to stay, what about a greater commitment of faith to give? To support missions? To support nationals and others that are taking the gospel uh, like we're seeing right now in, in Laos and in other various parts of the world where they're faithfully going. What about a commitment of prayer to pray for missionaries, to pray for the gospel, to pray for laborers? I close with, with this quote, and, and I, I agree. I don't know who said this quote, but I I've have this written down. I want you to listen. The evangelization of the world waits not on the readiness of God, but on the obedience of Christians. God's ready, my friend. I believe what's in the church today, everything that's in the church is there to complete the mission. The money is there. The labors are there. It's all there in the church. Nothing else is needed but our obedience. That's all that's needed. And boy, I'm telling you right now, that day when you come before the Lord to give account for your life, look, when we get there, there's no souls to be one in heaven, right? There's no witnessing that's going to be there. There's no need to send missionaries once we get to glory, right? The time for sacrifice and service and commitment and to have this radical faith and radical sense of urgency is now. And I want to encourage you, don't waste this time. I wasted so much of that time in my life. I feel my body getting older. I feel the strength going out. I think about some of those younger years I could have used for the Lord and did not use for the Lord. If there's one thing I could change, it would be to go back in my life and to surrender at the earliest of ages to live that life for Christ. I do not regret not one moment my decision to give my life to Christ. Not one moment. You can talk to this young lady right down here. She does not regret. Maybe you regret marrying me. But not one regret. I'm teasing. Not one regret in following Christ. My friend, there's no other life to live. To live for Him. And He is coming. There was a... Uh, uh, I'll close with this thought. There was a... Uh, 450 refugees in Ukraine. It was a refugee center. It was a secular center. Came to one of our pastors and said, look, uh, I don't know if you have a message of hope or not, but these refugees, they, they have no hope. They've lost all hope. In fact, we've heard stories of those that have taken their lives in Ukraine because they've lost all hope. They've lost everything. And this, this director came and he, and he said to our pastor, look, we've, they've lost all hope. Do you have a message of hope? He said, I don't care what you teach from your Bible, but can you bring these people a message of hope? You know what the sad truth is? The world is thirsting for hope today. And we have the message of hope. And there are open doors of utterance in the world today. There are places to go. There are people to preach to. There are people that need to hear this message. But it begins with us, right? Being radically committed. As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. I am here to finish his work, Christ said. Is that why you are here today? Are you and I here to finish the work that our Lord gave us to do? I hope that's the purpose of your life. I believe that's the only way to have a happy and content life and a joyful life is to live for the purpose to see him glorified. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And for you.
Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.